All right. Good morning. How you doing? Everybody doing well? Yeah? Good week? All right. So I got a question as we get started here this morning. As you know, we've been on a series entitled Love Does. And what we've been looking at is the power of love, how it applies to our lives practically, um, how it changes our lives, how it leads us in life. And so hope you've been blessed by it. If you need to catch up, just go to our website. You can go on our messages tab. You can listen to them. You can also go on our uh, app if you don't have it, or you can just go on Facebook. We're all posting our services live and all that now, so they're all there for you. There's plenty of ways to catch up. But uh, as you know, we've been on this series entitled Love Does, and I want to start off with a question. I want to ask you all. I'm going to take you down memory lane. Do you remember the first time you fell in love? Remember that? Remember that? Let me ask you a question. Did you scrape your knees along the way? If you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you know where I'm coming from. We learned that love is more than emotion, that we don't fall into love. We learned last week that love is a choice. Let me, let me, let me uh, take you back to scripture real quick, to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verses 4 through 7. It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Mm-hmm. I want you to think about this. It's a choice to be patient. It takes a choice to render kindness in the most difficult of situations. It's a choice to see what's right in a person when they're absolutely doing you wrong. That's a choice. It's all a choice. And so love is a choice. And as we learned two weeks ago, we learned that love is a person. And we learned that from 1 John chapter 4, verse uh, 7 through 8. I'm not going to recap the whole uh, chapter, but we'll just look at verses 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from where? Comes from God. Say that with me. Love comes from God. Love comes from God. Love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. Listen closely. For God is love. Can I tell somebody God is love? Tell somebody else, God is a person. Listen, love is a person. And so think about this. Where love is, God is. And where God is, love works. Love works. The key to transformation, to change, to new beginnings, to experiencing the very best with your relationship with God and even with your fellow man is this one simple choice called love. This week we're going to continue upon the topic of love as we explore the power of love as it leads us. Our main point is simply this today. It's not a heavy revy, it's a simple one. And yet I pray that your spiritual eyes and your heart is enlarged today for you to receive the truth of God's word. Our point today is simply this. We're going to be talking about when love makes a way. When love makes a way. I want to start off by sharing with you just a quick little story that I came across a while back. 
uh, that kind of bears out this point as we start uh, along this road this morning. In a book written by a guy named Robert Coleman, a uh, book I believe his name was uh, Written in Blood or something like that. I read it years ago. He tells the story of a little boy uh, named Johnny whose schoolmate Mary needed a blood transfusion. It turns out that she already had, she, she had a deadly disease that required a transfusion of her entire blood. And at the time, it was of the essence. It was a life or death situation. And so although she had a rare blood type, which was hard to find, they discovered that little Johnny's blood was a perfect match. It was perfect. It's exactly what she needed. And the fact that he had also recovered from this same disease two years earlier made the chances of success for her transfusion in her life even greater. The doctor carefully explained all this to little Johnny as he clung tightly to both his parents. You could see the white on his knuckles as he held their hands. And the doctor began to point out that without this transfusion, little Mary would die. Would you be brave and give your blood to her, the doctor asked. Johnny hesitated. His lower lip began to tremble and his eyes began to well up with tears. And then in the midst of his tears and his fears, he smiles and he says, sure, someone has to do it. The two children were wheeled into the hospital room moments later. Mary pale and thin, Johnny robust and healthy. And he smiled at Mary as they watched the blood travel out of his body, down the clear plastic tube into her body. Johnny's smile slowly began to fade as he lay there feeling weak. And then he looked up to the doctor and said, Doctor, when do I finally die? You see, Johnny thought that giving his blood to Mary meant giving up his life so that she could have another chance at life. We're talking about love, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about true love, and we're talking about how love makes a way. Have you ever considered the power of love for life? Have you ever thought about the fact that love is the one thing that makes a way when there is no way, when you can't forgive, when you can't get over it, when you feel like you've reached your last point? Love beckons you. It calls you out. It draws you and says, do it again. You can go an extra mile. You can go further. Love is the one thing that meets you at, doesn't meet you at your best. Instead, it pulls you from your worst. It lifts you from your mess. Love is the only thing capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Love. I like what Martin Luther King once said. He said this. He said, we must discover the power of love. You know what's interesting about that statement as I think about that now is that love is really powerful. And God's love, which is all-powerful, has always been available to us as men. The thing about it is, only those that dare and endeavor to discover it, to know God's love for their lives personally, are the ones that can enjoy the power of it. And so Martin Luther King once said, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make of this old world a new world. We will be able to make men better. Love is the only way. So when we lead with love, there's a way for redemption. To bring us back, to restore us to an original state that God intended. 
You can be the man that God has called you to be. You can be the woman that God has called you to be. You can be that person of influence in your career. You can be that person who loves people and leads them and lifts them up despite what they see. But it takes love to make the way. See, love truly makes a way. And so today we'll be looking at God's love and how it leads us and makes a way for us. And as we do, I want to caution you with something. Don't miss the implication of how God's love can lead you to impact your home, your marriage, your business, your enemies, your community. You, young person aspiring to a career, trying to figure out the future. Don't miss how God's love makes a way for your life. And so if we're going to talk about how love makes a way, we have to consider the one that made the way. We have to listen to the words of Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. And then we're also going to look at verses 14 through 16. As you're turning there, I want to just give you uh, something to think about. That what Jesus is literally illustrating to us here is how he relates to us. How he relates to people. How he loves mankind. And so starting at verse 1 it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and they will follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. Somebody say, uh-oh, there's a problem. And so he explained it to them. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who, come, who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away, verse 13, because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Watch what he says in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. And so I want you to think about how Jesus relates to us. Important for us to understand who Jesus is talking to here. It tells us something about why he's saying what he's saying, what he's trying to teach us. Jesus is talking to a people known as the Pharisees. These were religious teachers, leaders. These were people who 
carried the appearance of godliness. But as the scripture says, they denied the power thereof. They walked as godly people, but weren't godly at all. Jesus himself equated them to beautiful whitewashed tombs that were beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, they were filled with dead bones. And so these were people that did really good at appearing very godly. But what we see here is that Jesus begins to talk to them about the approach, the relationship between himself and people. And I want you to notice that he relates to himself as a shepherd. And he relates to people as a sheep. Now to them, this probably wasn't that very impressive because back in these days, to be a shepherd was looked down upon. These were people that were considered to be outcasts. They were considered to be unreliable. But I'll tell you why they were primarily looked down upon. It was because they, it was believed that they preferred their sheep more than they did the things of God. These were people that frequented distant lands. They were out with these sheep. They gave their lives for these sheep. And so they were never in the sanctuary. They were never in the house of faith, so to speak. They were never to be found. These were people that were cast out by the religious leaders. And Jesus says, I love my sheep that way. I give it all up, even religion. Even what you think is most important. And so, when they found themselves confronted with the words of Jesus, what they were challenged to explore, to think about, was his love, his sacrifice, the way God relates to all mankind. You got to understand something, that these people did not understand love. To even say the word God was blasphemy to them. To even conceive in your own mind that God could love you without you having to somehow do something to be right in God's eyes was blasphemy in their eyes. And Jesus is correcting them and he corrects us. See, instead of loving God, they loved their religion. They loved the admiration they received in the eyes of others. They loved the appearance of godliness. They just didn't love God. And thus, Jesus teaches them and us about love through a relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. Let's take note of some things of this good shepherd, how Jesus describes himself. In verses 11 and 15, he tells us that he lays down his own life so we can have life. Now, some of us would be you know, to go to that extent to lay down our lives for someone. But I think that we've all been there at some point where we said, yeah, I'll do it for you and I could do it for you, but I couldn't do it for this person. Not Jesus. Jesus says the shepherd lays down his life for all the sheep. In verse 14, he tells us that he knows us. You know what's interesting about sheep is that sheep are one of the few species in, in the animal kingdom along with dogs and a few others, that actually can grow so close to their owner, in this case, to the shepherd, that they actually can learn to identif be identified by a name. You could call that name, that sheep owl, and that sheep would look and the others wouldn't. And so when Jesus says, he knows you, 
He knows the sheep. He's talking about an intimate connection. In verse 10, he tells us that he makes a way for us that enriches our lives and it results in a satisfying life. See, the shepherd is concerned utmost with the care of the sheep. You know what's interesting about sheep? They don't care much about the shepherd. It doesn't start that way. It always starts with the shepherd's love for the sheep. I want you to begin to see the picture of how God views you. Because with that understanding, we're going to begin to see how God makes a way for us. In verse 9, it says that he leads us into the sheepfold and that we can come and go in and out of the gate. It's referring to freedom. And it says that he leads us into good pasture. You know, that's one thing about sheep. They need good ground to eat from. They need plush land to draw their nourishment from. And Jesus says, when I'm leading the way, because I love you, I lead you to green pastures. I dare say that the problem for some of us sometimes when we struggle in our personal relationship with God or even accepting that God loves us is that we're looking on the other side. We're looking at someone else's grass. We're looking on the other side of the fence, not realizing that God's watering our side. Not realizing that God's doing something great in your life. Let me tell you something. If you find yourself in a place where you feel dry, where you feel like, I've been doing this for a long time and this all seems the same. I've heard all this. I've done all this. I've received all this. Yeah, pastor, good, good sermon for them. Let me tell you something. Sheep always draw from the shepherd. Sheep never grow tired of receiving from the shepherd. I'm not talking about me, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not your good shepherd. But we could never get to a place where there isn't something that Jesus is offering into our lives that can satisfy us and enrich us that much more. That makes sense? In verse 3, we see that relationship is so intimate that the sheep are moved and gathered as one. Simply by the sound of the shepherd's voice. And so what we see here is that sheep are better off when they're led by a shepherd. Let me put it to you this way. You're better off with God leading the way in your life. We all are. We're better off when we understand how much God loves us and the power of that in our lives. And so the Bible goes to great length to give us details from the life of a man named David. Listen, this was the most unlikely person that God could choose in the eyes of all the people to become king over Israel. His life was one riddled with imperfections. Listen, this guy was a liar. He did it well. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He wasn't the greatest example as a father. He broke sacred laws by violating sacraments according to religious law. And he was known to frequently make choices independent of God's leading. To the point that one time, according to the scripture, it led to the death of over 70,000 Israelites. Just because David wanted to simply count the people when he shouldn't have. And yet, 
what the scriptures reveal, I believe it's 1 Samuel 13, I believe it is. We're not going to turn there. It reveals that when God unveils his plan to institute a new king, a man that he deemed the right king for his people, God declared him a man after his heart. A man who he deemed qualified and anointed to serve the people and lead the people like God himself would. Listen closely. We got to consider what it was about this guy, David. See, you and me, if I gave you that resume and I said, hey, my name is Jose and I'm a liar, I'm an adulterer, man, I'm a murderer, uh, I've, 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 I've mis misled my family, I haven't been a great father, I've, I, I make into ch choices independent of God, you would go, that's not my pastor. You don't qualify. You don't qualify to lead. You don't qualify to teach. You don't qualify to represent and speak the word of God. That was David. And God said, not only do you qualify, but I'm calling you to be king with my heart for my people. And so what was it that made David so special in God's eyes that God could see past his shortcomings and instead see the best in him as a king? Let's take that question a step further. What is it about you that God sees? That God could see past your shortcomings and instead see the best in you. Let me tell you what it was. In those days when people chose a king for themselves, what they did was they looked at his strength, his family line, his ability to lead in times of war. As a matter of fact, if you study scripture, if you go on your own time, what you'll see is that there comes a time where the people of Israel say to the, to the leader that God had placed over them, to, to, uh, to uh, Samuel, the prophet, they say, give us a king. We want a king like everyone else has. We want our own king. Why can't we have a king? We don't, basically what they were saying was, we don't need God. Give us a king. And so they, they, got, they got what they wanted. And it was this guy Saul who was, man, this guy was a mess. And so it turned out bad. They rejected God as king. But when David was chosen, it was for none of those attributes. It wasn't because of his experience leading in war. Listen, David was between 15 and 17 years old when God anointed him as king. David had no track record as king. No track record in war. David had no royal lineage behind him. He came from the smallest tribe of Israel, a tribe called Benjamin. One of the smallest families, and he was the youngest of eight. As a matter of fact, when the prophet showed up to anoint David, the father didn't even bother thinking about little old David. He left him out there with sheep. His heart though, was different. His heart was inclined. His thinking, his desires, his passions, his understanding unto the things of God. When the Bible says that God chose for himself a man after his own heart, it's literally talking about someone whose heart was so full of belief and love 
and passion that they were inclined solely unto God. See, what David lacked to become king, he gained in his experience among sheep. <laughs> Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. Starting at verse 1, I want you to consider the words of this guy, David. And here's what I want you to take note of. That this is you and me as well. This is our relationship to God. What we saw was God's relationship to us. He says, I'm the shepherd. I lead you to green pastures. I've got nothing but the best for you. Don't make room for a thief. Don't make room. Hey, hey here's something you really need to chew on before we jump into Psalm 23. Think about this. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. You come through me, everything's good. And then he cautions us in John 10, 10, and he says this. But don't listen to the thief. Because that thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. Now get this. If our heart inclination isn't after God, then I want you to realize what we've already invited into our life. A thief. You know what's interesting about a thief? Thieves are real sneaky. At least ones that try to be smart at it are. Right? They try to be as sneaky as possible. They get in, but once they're in, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get them out. So here's my point with that. Why not just simply choose from this point forward? Why not make the choice that love makes? To follow God in his way. And get the thief out of our life. Get destruction. Get lies out of our life. Begin to flourish in different ways. And so in Psalm 23 verse 1, David gives our response to God as shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He's talking about his understanding, his mind. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Get this. You and I have nothing to do with it. It's for his name's sake. It's about him. It's about his desire. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now what's interesting about this is that David, a man of great accomplishment as a king, one who at this point had much experience also as a shepherd, looks to neither of these experiences when reflecting upon his life. Let me tell you what I mean. He's got all this experience with sheep since he was a kid. And at this point in his life, and we'll dig into that a little bit more, he's got all this experience as a king. And he's seasoned in war and in leadership. 
And yet when David pens this psalm, watch how he sees himself, neither as a king or as a shepherd, but as a sheep. As a sheep. David literally teaches us something here. It's best when we simply follow the way that love makes. When we trust in our good shepherd. When we let him lead the way. Listen, if you ask most men today to tell you who they are, guys, I'm not knocking you. I'm one of you. (laughs) But if you ask a man, who are you? You know what we'll tell you? We'll tell you what we do for a living. I have a business. I'm an architect. I'm a mason. I'm a cook. I'm a police officer. I'm this, I'm that. We'll tell you what we do for a living. We'll tell you what role we play in the family. I'm a father. Got two kids. You know, I'm a husband. Been married 30 years. We'll tell you that. We'll tell you even about what we've accomplished in life. Well, you know, I've done this in my life and I've done that in my life. And that's the lump sum of how men usually view themselves when it comes to who they are. There's nothing wrong with that. But as we look at the words of David, what we see is that the secret to his success was his relationship to God. His relationship to God. David was intent upon following after God and depending upon God in every area of his life. Every area of his life. And as a result, when David sums up his life, he identifies himself as a sheep following a shepherd instead of a king with great accomplishments. And so for the next couple of moments that we have here, I want to just dig into these six little verses. And I want to see what we can learn from David, what he learned from sheep. Notice in verse 1, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Say that with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. We're going to do this again. Because, listen, listen. This needs to be more than just something you read. When you're following the good shepherd, this becomes something that you believe. So let's do this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Nothing. Oh, I love that. Oh, give it up for yourselves. That was good. Listen, that word shepherd there means one that pasture, that leads to pasture. One that tends. It also means to graze, to feed. But it depicts in the Hebrew a ruler and a teacher. It depicts the shepherd as the complete package for the sheep. Now, I remember, I'm going to take a little rabbit trail here. I remember when, uh, when, I, uh, when, when we first moved up here, you got to understand that I, we, we, we were city people all our lives. My wife grew up in the Bronx. I grew up in uh, upper Manhattan. And, uh, you know, when you went shopping, you didn't go to a one-stop shop. You went from store to store. You went to vegetables. You went to the the Chinese guys that had all the vegetables and the fruits outside on the stands, right? And if you wanted meat, you went to the butcher, right? 
And every now and then there was a supermarket somewhere, right? Like an associated or one of those. Sort of, and you went and bought your meat and your other stuff. And then if you needed to buy some paper towels, you went here. And you needed to buy that, you went there. You went to the hardware store. There was nothing like what we had up here. So when we came up here and it came time to go shopping, because at that point we would go shopping in Fordermore and uh, Parkchester or whatever, right? And it was a madhouse. Listen, for those of you that can't relate, to what I'm talking about, or you don't know where Fordham is, God bless you. That's what I want to tell you. God bless you. You were blessed not to walk amongst those crowds just to go from one store to another to get your chores done, your shopping done. So when we moved up here, and I'm like, where are all the stores? I forget who I was talking to. They said, go to Walmart. And I said, what's that? And when I walked into Walmart, I swear the heavens opened up. And I heard the voice of God. It's all here for you. You don't need to go anywhere else. What's my point with that? My point with that is simply this. That when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Here's what he's saying. I have no need to go anywhere else for anything in life. The reason why David states, I shall not want, is because he understood that he had all he needed in the Lord, who is his shepherd. See, when love makes a way, nothing is lacking. Can I, can I just say something? Can I, can I get up close and personal for a moment? Would you allow me to do that? If we're not careful, we will spend our lives seeking after things. We seek after money, we seek after people, we seek after relationships, we seek after possessions. And what's interesting is that it's never satisfying. It always leaves us lacking something. You ever been in that place where you say, if I could just get to this point in my life making this amount of money, I'll be good for the rest of my life. And then you get there and you go, if I could just get here, it's like it's never enough. David learned a secret that we would be wise to take hold of. The scriptures declare that God's love establishes us. It grounds us. It it gives us a place where we can grow roots. And we can grow strong. You ever heard that saying, when's the best time to plant an oak tree? You know what the answer to it is? Now. Now. You know what? You know what's the thinking behind that, that statement? It takes something like 20 some odd years for an oak tree to firmly, to finally get to a place where it's strong enough to stand on its own and withstand and it's, it's firm in its roots and it matures. The point with that is simply this. You know what's the best time to sow God's love into your life, to intake it into your life? Now. Right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till when I get better. Don't wait till this changes. Now. Right now. Right now. Because it solidifies you. It leaves you lacking nothing. In verses 2 and 3, David goes on to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. You know what's interesting about sheep? That sheep left to themselves will not lie down. You know why? Because they're constantly grazing. They're looking for somewhere to eat. But when sheep are led, 
by a shepherd who's already scouted the lands, prepared the way, has the path set. These sheep get to that place, and when they eat, they are so satisfied that it's like, let me take a nap. Let me rest a little bit. Now, I'm going to deviate here for a moment. Hebrews talks about, I believe it's Hebrews 4, talks about our high priest, Jesus. And when it talks about our high priest, it tells us that there is yet a rest for us to enter into as believers, as his children. And that rest is found in our confidence in our high priest who has already done everything before God, presented every sacrifice that was necessary. And so we, as believers, as children of God, and if you don't know Jesus, let me say this to you too. God's will for you is that you would find yourself in a place of rest in life where you are so confident in him that what you are reaping is nothing but green pastures. You are nourished, you are built up, you are encouraged, you are satisfied in life. Notice that David says he leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep will not drink from running water. They will not. It unsettles them. They can, as a matter of fact, there's documented uh, cases where sheep can actually die of anxiety because they get so worked up. And so sheep will not step into running water, moving water, to draw for themselves, to refresh themselves. What a shepherd would do is he would go beforehand and he would find these sources of water. And if it was running, you know what he would do? He would dam that water up. He would build a dam. He would block it off so that there were still quiet waters. And the sheep, they would see it and they would walk there and they would draw from that water and they would be refreshed. Let me tell you something about God's peace and God's love. When you are confident and convinced that God loves you, that nothing can separate you from his love, that you are accepted by him, that you are his. Can I say this to somebody that needs to hear this here? There is nothing wrong with you. You are not deficient in God's eyes. You are not broken goods. You are not. Your past might tell you that. People might tell you that. You might tell yourself that. But God says, no, 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 no. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're my, the apple of my eye. And so God's love, man, it leads us in peace. It takes us to a place of peace. Now, peace isn't the absence of problems. It's just the presence of God. It's the presence of God in your life. And notice what this great love of this shepherd, this provision of this shepherd does. David says in verse 3 of Psalm 23, he refreshes my soul. Listen, this mind of ours needs to be at ease. We need to get to a place where this mind isn't running a mile a minute and creating 20,000 stories ahead of us, anticipating failure, anticipating challenges, anticipating hurt, anticipating hang-ups. That's not God. God says, just stay with me. Stay with me. Let me lead you. And when he leads us, it refreshes our understanding. Hmm. 
verse 3, he also says that he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. That's a very important point to consider here. I'm going to tell you why. Because many times we judge God's love by our own sake. Somehow, we can hear it a thousand times. We can even quote it to ourselves. We can rehearse it. We can put scriptures all up, all around. We can read the Bible. We can go to church and be amongst the church, the body, and, and, we, and we can get involved in Christian activity and, and somehow yet still struggle with God loving us. But the, the, the reason why we struggle with that is because we think it's what we add to God that makes us lovable. And God says, man, I'm leading you to green pastures. I'm placing you beside still waters. I'm refreshing your soul. And it's got nothing to do with you. It's what I want to do in your life. It's what I'm leading you towards. It's how I'm working in your life. So, of encouragement here. God's love has nothing to do with your love for him. Let him lead. Verse 4 tells us that even though we walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen, give you some, some quick history here. According to, to, to Bible scholars, Psalm 23 was written towards the end of David's life. And some theologians believe that, that David's, that at this point, David is actually in a very bad situation. They theorize that this is a time where his whole household was in revolt. His son Absalom was coming against him. Um, he was being stripped of the kingdom. And when David wrote this, David says this, even though I walk through a dark valley. You know what David was saying there? I created this mess in my home. I made bad choices in this problem that I'm, that I'm reaping now. I've torn down my family. I myself am the culprit of being stripped of the kingdom at this point in my life. But watch what David says. He says, I walked through the dark valley. David was so convinced in his role as a sheep and God as his shepherd that David says, man, even though I'm walking through a valley that's dark right now, I'm not afraid. You know why? Because you're with me. Because you're with me. I may have created this mess, but you're walking through this mess with me. And in the midst of this, your rod and your staff, they're comforting me. Many times some people believe that they find themselves in difficult situations and they say, God is punishing me. God is teaching me through suffering. No, we're reaping results as a result of the choices we've made. But don't miss the picture here. God's walking through the valley with you. And while he's walking through it with you, watch what the scripture says. He's comforting you. Man, that preaches to my heart right now. 
See, when love makes a way, it walks alongside you. And when love makes a way, it doesn't lead us wrong. Verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, I don't have much time, so i got to wrap this up very nicely with a bow, but it seems that what David is saying here is that God prepares a table and all the enemies are sitting around and they're watching him eat. And to an extent, that's what it's alluding to, but there's a bigger picture in store here. Shepherds would go in the spring, in the winter and spring months, to lands that were called outlands. They were highlands. They were called tablelands. And so what a shepherd would do is he would go to these lands and he would scout it out. And he would see who were the predators there. He would see where were the pitfalls that the sheep might hurt themselves, maybe break a leg or something. Uh, He would remove dangerous weeds and he would dam up waters. He would do all this stuff beforehand. And in the midst of it, potential uh, predators would watch him and he would be conscious of them as he's working the land. And so throughout those winter and spring months, the shepherd would go and hunt all those predators and he'd do away with them. But whichever ones were left, By the time he would come in the summer months when the sheep were ready for the mating season, he would bring his sheep up, all the predators, all the wolves, all the animals, all the bears, what they would do is they would cower in fear from afar and watch. Why? Because the shepherd was there and they knew who he was. Let me tell you why I share that with you. Because you might forget how much God loves you. But just know this, that God's love for you helps you overcome any enemy that comes against you. Tell me what I mean by that. You ever been, you ever had to face a bully in your life? I faced a few bullies when I was a kid. And I remember the times where I actually stood up to a bully. You know when it was? When I had somebody bigger with me. (laughs) Come on. I'll show you something. Get over here. Come here. Let me show you something. I'm with him. Let me tell you why I share that with you. Because when you're confident that God loves you right where you are, you might face, you will face enemies along the way. You will encounter challenges. But there's an assurance and a confidence that comes with knowing that God loves you and it sustains you and it empowers you to face the greatest challenge. Because no matter what's ahead of you, you know that there's a greater one with you and in you and for you. Amen? Amen. And lastly, as we close here, David says, Surely your goodness and love, they will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what David knew about love, about real love? He knew something some of us don't. He knew that it's not a love that comes and goes. He knew that it's not a love that rewards when we're right and takes away, pulls away when we're wrong. He knew that it was an enduring love, a love that lasted forever. What's interesting is that David, from his experience as a shepherd, teaches us something here. Shepherds, when they would take their sheep 
to grazing lands, to lands that they had prepared. They didn't take them to the same plot of land every year. What they did was they prepared multiple years, and so you would take your sheep to this particular uh, high, high table lands. You would take them there, but then next year you would take them to another so that while you're, while you're taking them to that one, during that year, the one you left is still being replenished. It's growing. And so what David is saying is this. He would take his sheep on a circuit, so to speak. And no matter where they went, what left behind them was guaranteed to be nourished and grow again. It was blessed. It would produce. And so what David is saying here is, God, man, I, I remember all the times I've led my sheep. And every time we've left a place, I know that when I come back to it, there's blessing there. That it's still, there's still more to pull from it. And so he's saying that God's love pursues him. It goes behind him and it meets him wherever he goes. Listen closely. God doesn't just love you. God is love. And according to scripture, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Let me say this to you. Love is with you. can't get away from it you can't get away from God's love when David uses the word when he says that his love and his goodness will follow me all the days of my life that word follow there isn't just kind of like casually walking behind you know what it's talking about it's talking about one that's in pursuit it's talking about one that's chasing something down I want you to see how passionate God is about you about his promises for your life, about your marriage, about your career, about the gifts and callings that he's placed within you. He's not letting you go. That's why the scripture tells us that he does not repent. He does not turn away from his gifts and calling upon your life. So why not do something? Let's stand here today. Why not just accept that when love makes a way, you can't get away from God's blessing. Why not just accept this truth, ladies and gentlemen? You are loved, you are loved, you are loved. And love has made a way for your life. Love has made a way for your household. Love has made a way for your future. Love has made a way in the present. God loves you. Get and tell somebody, God loves me. Oh, now say that with some meaning. God loves me. God loves me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. God loves me. Me. Yes, God loves you. And because he loves you, you can trust him to lead you in your life and make a way where you see none. Father, today, we thank you this morning for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your precious an awesome and amazing love. A love that does not give up. A love that has forgiven eternally. A love that does not cease. Father, today we say thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. And Father, we thank you that by your love, you make a way in every regard of our lives. Today we can confidently declare this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing.
hey, if there's anyone here today and you've been living life on your own terms, you've been trying to figure this out on your own, and maybe where you are right now is you're saying, man, I've, I never realized how much God loves me and that he's making a way for me, that, that it can all change, that it can all turn around. If that's where you are today and you find yourself saying, but I want that love. I trust God that way. I want to follow him. It takes something as simple as making the choice that love made for us, accepting the sacrifice that God made for you and I through Jesus Christ. He died and paid the penalty of sin that we were supposed to pay so that we could be free from the guilt and the shame of sin and we could be forgiven and be righteous and holy in his sight. If you want that today, pray this with us. Let's pray this all together. Say, Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. Today I declare that I love you. And I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, my God. And from this day forward, I will follow after you. Come on, we got reason to celebrate here. If you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, we thank God for what he's doing in your life. We ask you don't leave here without telling us. We want to walk this journey with you. Now, Father, we thank you for all this and so much more. We're confident in your love for us, and we declare we love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.